folks, this is Abel James, and thanks so much for joining us on Fat Burning Man, where we talk about real food and real results. Today's episode of the show is with Mr. John Kiefer, a super geek and cutting edge researcher who teaches people how to eat cheesecake and drop fat through what he calls carb backloading. A lot of you guys have been asking for him for months, and I'm really happy to say that we got him here, and it was one of the most fun conversations I've had in a long time on this show. Actually, I met up with Kiefer a few weeks ago, and we ordered the same thing for lunch. And if you're curious about what that was, it was a massive meat and veggie omelet covered in bacon, cheese, and avocado. That's my kind of diet. (laughs) Now, also, this is super cool. I just got back from Vegas where I spoke at the New Media Expo. Actually, I met uh, many of you. Thank you so much for coming up and saying hi and supporting the show. And even cooler, uh, we won the People's Choice Podcast Award for Best in Health and Fitness in 2013. And that was actually a way bigger deal than I'd ever imagined. They put on a whole award show out in Vegas with tuxes, cool-looking trophies, and speeches that I definitely did not plan for. If you'd like to see my speech, head on over to fatburningman.com. I just put it up there for you. But in summary, I'm doing everything I can to reach as many people as possible. That's my mission. Uh, we've, we've hit over 4 million so far, which is wild, uh, to spread the truth about how to take control of your health and look and feel better than you ever imagined. So thank you so much for your reviews, feedback, and support over the past year and a half. As you know, I have no sponsors, no advertisers, uh, not for a lack of people who want to advertise the show, but I don't want to be one of those guys who's constantly hawking supplements or or protein bars or new whatever. I, I do this for you guys I, uh, I do it because I believe in it. I want to get the truth out about health. And actually, there have been a few things that have happened to some of the leaders of the movement that I can't really talk about right here, right now, uh, that, that basically implies that traditional media channels do not allow the real truth about what they do and what they stand for, what diets they advocate, how they train to come out to you guys. So I, I just want to tell you that that is why this show exists, to constantly bring that to you. And I love your feedback. Uh, I, I really do appreciate it when you guys say, well, is that thing that that X person said on Y show actually supported by science? Can we see some research there? And then some of you other guys come in and, and give the research or I'll look into it or some members of my team will do it. And it's just such a fun process. And I want to keep making this the best quality show uh, for you guys. So if you ever have any ideas, you can reach me directly at able at fatburningman.com. In terms of all the other incredible stuff that's happened in this past year, I, I just want to thank a few people. Um, to recap, we not only won the People's Choice Award for Best uh, uh, Health and Fitness Podcast, but also number one in Paleo. There are a few other awards outstanding. And uh, our, our video version of this show debuted at number one in health and top 10 in all of iTunes, which is incredible. So we're going to be doing a lot more video for you guys. Obviously, obviously you like it. You've been asking for it. So stay tuned for lots of fun cooking videos and, uh, and even better podcasts as well as more shows uh, coming. And, and I don't just mean Fat Burning Man, but other shows that are about lifestyle, biohacking, cooking, uh, philosophy, metaphysics, much, much more. It's really exciting, but stay tuned for that. But I just want to take a quick quick moment to thank my team. Uh, Emily is our community manager. I know a lot of you have been emailing with her. Uh, she helps me answer the questions that come from you guys. And she is 100% amazing. So thank you, Emily. Raleigh brilliantly edits the audio and video for us. He's 
What a guy. Absolutely love him. He's saved my life many, many times. I'd like to thank Allison, who helps us with tech and operations, as well as, you know, she's been on the show and cooks. We've, we've made apps together. Uh, as well as Lewis Howes, John Lee Dumas, Pat Flynn, and our other friends at the Integrity Network. This is something that we're really excited about. Basically, uh, a bunch of us in, in lifestyle, business, health, uh, and, and more have joined together to share best practices and see how we can continue to bring the best possible shows to you guys that are all led by truth as opposed to profit and back scratching and big media and, and the rest of it. And finally, I had this chance to meet Elisa Maria from iTunes podcasting. Uh, so thank you so much to the folks at Apple for making all of this possible. Uh, I absolutely think that I have the best job in the world and I wouldn't change a thing. So thank you so much. All right, so enough gushing. Let's talk about the curious link between cheesecake and abs. On this week's show with Kiefer, you'll learn the science behind why insulin hacking and carb backloading works, how to leverage adrenaline to naturally upgrade your workouts, and why carb backloading works for women by embracing indulgences, and much more. All right, let's go hang out with Kiefer. Folks, John Kiefer is a geek after my own heart. With a master's in physics, Kiefer is a research beast when it comes to understanding human performance and physique transformation. So if you dig eating massive amounts of ice cream while getting a six-pack, you're going to love this guy. How's it going, Kiefer? Pretty good. How are you, Abel? Uh, I'm loving life. Um, but your studio, for those of you watching on video, you already know this, but if you're, if you're on audio, this is pretty awesome you've got a four mic setup over there yeah see the boom yeah. hanging upside down <laughs> you, got, you got a sick bike behind you i i am digging this this feel right now cool thanks <laughs> i didn't know it was going to attract so much attention or you know i guess i could have just used my crappy laptop mic no this is way better this is so much more fun <laughs> so um I, lots of people have been asking you to come on the show. They've been tweeting at me, sending emails, and, and loads of other ways of getting in touch. But I'm so glad that you're here uh, because your your approach to this, to, to body transformation, especially to muscle building, but even more than that, leaning down, is super unique right now and uh, and absolutely supported by science. It's not just some like ridiculous thing that you're trying off the cuff anecdotally that kind of like worked for you and your buddies. It's like you are a researcher and you know your stuff, and you've also experimented like a lab rat. So um, a lot of people are curious about this whole carb backloading type deal. So let's talk about um, your whole shtick, right? Which is basically having your cake and eating it too. How is it possible to eat all of your favorite foods while uh, not only maintaining your body, but actually transforming your body into something that's even more incredible than it was before? You know, some people are going to be familiar with some of the principles because intermittent fasting is a nice hack that just kind of missed some of the science. Mm. So, you know, what's essentially going on, if you can get your body into a state of ketogenesis, essentially, and, you know, really rampant fat burning in the first half of the day, and then you're able to train later in the day, you're actually using every metabolic state and energy system in its most advantageous position, so to speak. And then when you're done training, it turns out insulin spikes are incredibly beneficial to ramp up the metabolism and even more to support recovery and support muscle building and actually not hamper fat accumulation at that point. So that's kind of the real focus of this diet isn't, 
you know, just leaning out by starving yourself or those kind of things. It's actually getting the right tissue into the right mode at the right time. So it's not just about losing weight. It's about getting your body fat to actually release body fat stores Mm -hmm. while getting nutrients into the muscles and, you know, timing this all appropriately. And, you know, there's just some really nice cellular biology that we've only learned or I won't say we've only learned, but that has really been elucidated in the last 10 years where we can take, start to take advantage of it. And th- that, that's kind of what I did. And so, you know, that's, that's the magic. You know, everybody right now is on this ketogenic kick and ketogenic for performance. And that's great if you're an endurance athlete. But if you are looking for strength endurance or power production or bodybuilding specifically, those diets are going to let you down at some point. And it's really because the body needs a source of glucose at some point. And mm-hmm. preferentially, you would like that to be glycogen stores in the muscle. Well, if you're always carb depleted, then your muscle glycogen stores are going to deplete as well to a certain point to where your body just doesn't want to use them. Mm-hmm. And then to get the body to use them, you'd have to take a bunch of stimulants, Yeah, which, you know, it's not always ideal for mitochondrial health and everything else going on there. So, you know, what I did was through the research, I basically put together how you can just use diet and use carbohydrates specifically, kind of like a drug yeah. to get the desired effect you're looking at. I mean, I got this power lifter the other day. It was amazing. He lost, oh, I'm going to get some pictures up on my, well, when I get my website up, I'll get some pictures up, but he, he dropped a hundred pounds and he's been hitting PRs. Really? Yeah. I mean, it's amazing. Wow. And his transformation pictures are phenomenal. I just, I got the pictures and if it weren't for him having a very distinct face, I would not have been able to put it together that it really? was the same guy. Yeah. Wow. That's so cool. Yeah. So when we get this show up, maybe we can link to that, but that, that yeah. sounds. I, actually, if I can, um, I'll get you the pictures of my sites. Not that up would yet. be awesome. Yeah. That'd be totally cool. So correct me if I'm wrong, but I'm kind of summarizing here that basically what you do is get people in this, this fat adapted state and then you use carbs strategically to make sure that they're going to muscle growth and, and performance as opposed to fat stores. Exactly. Yeah. So yeah. can we explain that a little bit more and, and the spe- specifics of the way that you do it? Because that's that's exactly what I've been doing for, for a long time and it's amazing. You can get away with way more than you thought you, you could yeah. if you follow this paradigm. So can you break it down a little bit more for us? Why, why does this work? So normally it all centers around insulin and how you use insulin. And most of us, most people use it all day, every day to get Mm -hmm. fat. And (laughs) to get fat. I mean, we really do. And we can see that, you know, the obesity epidemic is just growing. And there's a reason for that. And that's specifically because when insulin is present, it actually flips a switch in fat cells to get them to store more fatty acids and release less fatty acids. It also flips a switch in your muscle tissue that makes your muscle preferentially want to burn the carbohydrates you just ate. So it doesn't even really let you tap into your glycogen stores efficiently. Even once you start to deplete your, your blood sugar levels, you actually get a glucagon rise. And so your liver starts to try to pump out carbohydrate to fuel your muscles, but your muscles are fitting, sitting on a nice, you know, stock of carbs that they can't use. So in that first half of the day, what you're essentially doing is eliminating insulin and eliminating all the bad things that it does. And by bad, I just mean the way that it forces you to utilize and store fuel. Mm-hmm. 
So for example, if you have no insulin whatsoever in the first part of the day, your body is preferentially going to release and burn fatty acids. And, you know, obviously that has a ton of advantages. That's one way you can start to lean out without a huge calorie deficit, which is really nice and hugely advantageous. And you're still able to eat through the day because you're eating mostly fat. So if you have a high enough fat to protein ratio in that first half of the day, you can stay ketogenic. So you get all these great benefits from ketones. They turn on great um, cellular clean, basically little, um, the cleanup processes in your cells. So they keep your cells healthy, functioning correctly. Um, they're a high efficiency molecule for the heart and the diaphragm. So your endurance is great. Um, they're great for the brain, you know, so it's fantastic. So you get this ketogenic advantage. You get the advantage of still introducing food. So your body doesn't go into any potential starvation state, so to say. So nothing gets turned on that could be negative against you. And then when you go to train, the really fantastic thing is since you've got no insulin, um, the main releaser for glycogen stores within muscle tissue is adrenaline and noradrenaline. So it, it's, it, it actually all comes together beautifully. And I, I wrote about some of these pieces separately until I understood how they all connected together. And I used to call it the Hulk effect because if you don't eat carbohydrates before training, you actually get a bigger spike in adrenaline. You get a quicker spike in adrenaline and muscles are more receptive to adrenaline all at the same time. Well, what I didn't realize is that's probably our natural state because mm. to utilize muscle glycogen, you have to have adrenaline. Adrenaline mm. is what starts the breakdown of muscle glycogen. So that's one reason we see so much strength increase almost right off the bat because all of a sudden people are able to utilize the adrenaline once again more efficiently and at the same time, you're not cutting off energy supply. You're tapping into the muscles for a normal workout, you know, infinite reserve of glycogen that's there. You know, it's, you've got to be pretty specific if you're going to deplete it yeah. depending on how full you are. So then after that, especially with resistance training or any type of uh, power production training or strength endurance training, the muscle cells actually upregulate what we call glucose transporter four. So there's a bunch of glucose transporters, but these are necessary to get sugar into cells. Um, insulin is what normally activates these, these glucose transporters. And we have uh, GLUT4 primarily in only two tissues in the body, and that's fat cells and muscle cells. Mm -hmm. That's why eating carbohydrates and spiking insulins can make you fat because it can get a lot of fat and the building blocks of fatty acids or of triglycerides into fat. So we don't want that. Well, luckily, towards the end of the day, fat cells are more resistant to insulin. They don't want to soak up carbs. And muscle is too, but you just worked out. So you've circumvented the insulin signal that would normally be weak, and you made the muscles able to soak up sugar as much as you can almost dump into it, in a way, uh, to refill glycogen stores. So you're eating those carbohydrates towards the end of the day to refill muscle reserves. Now, there's some other metabolic effects that ratchet up metabolism. So you, your body becomes way more inefficient when you have those insulin spikes at night. So you can get away with a lot more quote unquote junk than you normally would. And amazingly, it's, I don't want to say junk, but it's those big insulin spikes that really help to ramp up the metabolism and also help to get as much glycogen into storage as possible. And to, you know, really start the repair and recovery process that is a big problem for a lot of athletes, whether they realize it or not, 
Um, they're usually in a state of training too much, not necessarily overtraining, but training too much. So you yeah. get this, you know, great effect just by literally holding your carbs off till the end of the day. And there's, there's some other processes that I'm looking at because this diet works, whether you resistance train or not. Mm -hmm. So there's, there's some other process going on, um, that I've been exploring, obviously from the amount of food I've seen some people eat without gaining body fat at night, there's gotta be some spillover compensatory mechanism. Um, I'm going to guess the kidneys probably get slightly enlarged, not out of any health problem, but to help clear some of that excess load and who knows where else that stuff goes, but yeah. we'll figure and, it out. <laughs> and it's really interesting. And it's, it's a struggle to accept that that's the way that it works, right? Even for myself, I'm just, uh, like I kind of hinted at before, I am shocked because I'm always, <laughs> I'm always trying something on my body and, mm. um, my lady Allison happens to be an incredible desserts cook. <laughs> and so like, you know, I'll, I'll see if I can gain fat in, uh, especially by eating carbs at night. It's because usually she's baking at night. So we'll have cookies or brownies or cheesecake or whatever after dinner. But usually that day we didn't eat. Um, sometimes we didn't eat anything that whole day, but if we did, yeah. it's something that's very high fat or, you know, like a green smoothie or like fibrous veggies. So it's, it's still keeping insulin at bay um, until nighttime, which, you know, some people argue is the worst possible time to, right. to spike your insulin because you're going to store fat. Uh, but I found that uh, even let's, let's use this as an example. We went on a cruise a while back uh, last year and we ate everything that we could. And it was usually at the end of the day. And, and what we did is I kind of treated it as a bulking phase, right? So we'd mm -hmm. go in, we'd work out, we'd um, we'd lift or we'd do some sprints or something like that, which is really hard on a boat. <laughs> but we did that um, usually in the afternoon, sometimes even the evening. And then at night we would just go crazy and have and have a blast. And I found, I, I thought that I would have ballooned after that, you know, 10 day cruise or whatever. Uh, I came back, I had put on, um, I think it was like two pounds and did a photo shoot like, a few days after that, like like the next week, a lot of the the, um, the the images that you find on my site are from right after I had been pretty much binging on desserts on a cruise, <laughs> eating God knows what, and I was just shocked because um, in my previous life, essentially when I was running on carbs, doing a lot of um, endurance training, running marathons, you know, I I could see even you know from one day to the next that I was putting on fat, certainly holding water. Um, mm -hmm. and, and gaining some amount of body fat um, by eating exactly the same way. It just wasn't at the same time. Or I should say eating exactly the same foods, but it wasn't in the right. same way. Right. So yeah, it's, what, it's why, why does that, that work? How, the, the body, um, <laughs> it's so hard to understand that like all of this food coming in isn't being stored as fat. So why not? So I, I think there's several mechanisms. I found some research in animals that I'm, you know, I'm dying to see done in humans um, where if you spike insulin, if insulin's between, you know, if it's below a certain threshold, then fat cells are dumping fat, you know, as much as possible. If it's then in the, this next middle range, then fat cells are trying to store, you know, fat. But then if you go to this third range that's on the high end of the insulin scale um, in animal models, then it actually flips the switch again and fat cells become resistant to storing calories. Um, like I said, I haven't seen this data in humans, but mm -hmm. 
from the way I've seen some people eat, uh, I, I don't know what the alternative explanation is there. And then we get some other effects. Uh, something that people don't usually take into account is how fast food passes through you. Mm. Um, when you introduce these large carb boluses in the evening, you spark overall met- metabolism and nervous energy, which means you're not spending as much time processing that food either. Mm-hmm. So you get a higher pass-through rate. I, I hear people talk, <laughs> make jokes about backloading and the effects of the loading that happens the next morning on right. the commode. So, you know, there, there's, so there's this combination of effects. Um, you're also then in this prime state to store a lot of glycogen. So that's going to fill up your muscles with water and carbohydrates. You've got preferential uh, nutrient utilization there, which then, of course, tightens the skin. Glucose itself can be a diuretic, so you can lose some water weight if you're doing this appropriately. So during the day, your body's kind of got this homeostasis, and then you knock it out of whack at night. So there's there's just this whole compounding of effects that create these opportunities, especially if you're you know somewhat athletic at all, these opportunities to really enjoy food mm-hmm. and then get a physique benefit at the same time. And the nice thing is, and the thing that scared me when I put this out is people were asking me all kinds of health questions. Yeah. I was like, I don't know. But luckily, I've been working with Dr. Uh, Rocky Patel and the health and of people doing this. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, some of his patients who are <laughs> – do, they're doing car backloading right. I mean, they're just enjoying it. And their health is phenomenal. It's like wow. nothing they've ever had before. So I'm no longer worried about the health side of it either. There's – obvious benefits across the board. So I have lots of female listeners and and especially when they hear things like super high fat or like intermittent fasting, um, a a lot of times we'll get questions about does this work only for men or it applies to women as well? No, it applies for women as well. There's, you can hunt her down. She's great. Um, Her name's Andrea Jingle. She goes by AJ and she's been using car backloading for couple years now and she's been helping a lot of people with it. Uh, she's a great example. She helps a lot of women. Really the key there is, again, you can't eat as many carbohydrates, but it's that fear of the type that they can eat. Uh, women off, often get really, you know, when it comes down to it, kind of scared mm-hmm. to have those indulgences. And it's those indulgences that really make it work. And a lot of women these days I would say this might not have been true 30 years ago, but today women train equally as hard as men, if not harder. So they definitely are able to utilize those glycogen stores. It doesn't mobilize as readily as men, but with most of the types of training women do, they're still able to pig out, you know, I guess, I guess is the right word and still get phenomenal effects. Yeah. And it's, it's so interesting once you make that, that shift and you do um, start uh, eating and living this way. It does apply. I've I've seen this in person uh, with myself and Allison because she's usually experimenting the same way that I am at the same time mm-hmm. and eating those desserts and uh, you know like not eating during the day, especially if we're traveling or something and we we skip breakfast, we skip lunch, and we'll just have like you know a couple shots of coconut oil or uh, you know have some butter just to get us through or eat some nuts or, or something like that. And then at the end of the day, we um, we eat loads. In our previous life, she was. Um, you know, actually a professional video game player. And so she had put on some weight after doing that a lot and just, you know, being in front of a screen 16 hours a day training and, and eating, you know, poorly. 
it's very easy, or at least it was very easy for her to put on fat. It was for me as well. And now it seems like we can get away with the world as long as we're fat adapted. It seems like that's the key. Right. It, so, it is what you're talking about. It's really interesting because, you know, I've seen that myself and other people have seen that. Like you get to this point where it becomes so easy. It's almost stupid. It's like becomes difficult to put on body fat. Yeah. Um, you've really like switched up that signaling pretty significantly and you know, I don't want to say things are screwed up, but it feels that way because like your body's just different than what it used to be. Right. And it doesn't, it seems to me that the way that my body's functioning now is that it doesn't want that extra fat. Whereas before it clung onto it. Right. Yeah. You're giving the body an opportunity to use it at prime time. So through the night, that's another nice thing. You know, the insulin spikes are great because you get this high spike and then it subsides quickly. Mm -hmm. So that allows your body to get back into its normal fat burning mode that it would go through in the evening if given the chance. And it also allows you to wake up in a very advantageous state where you can start burning fat right away. Right. Um, and before we go on too much, I really want to limit this conversation to people who are halfway healthy and not diabetic yet. Right. Because once you get into obesity and diabetes, literally at the cellular level, those people are different. They have mm -hmm. different mechanisms. They actually have different glute transporters are expressed. I mean, everything across the board is different. So the rules there are completely different. Um, and, and that's a good point. You see people use research all the time and they say, oh, well, look at this. Um, it's clear that people aren't, you know, what he says is wrong because people aren't insulin sensitive in the morning. Mm -hmm. Well, they're taking that out of obese populations. Mm -hmm. Um, and, and they really are different. So just want to make sure everybody understands, like you can't put somebody who's 150 pounds overweight on this diet, who doesn't exercise and expect to see these great results because their body is different. So this is better for people who are already in that range of a normal functioning body. But if we're talking for about disordered, um, metabolic systems and all of that, then that really needs its own sort of interve intervention first. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Once, once you kind of cross that threshold toward type two diabetes, almost there to type two diabetic, I mean, you, you literally are a different human being inside yeah. um, and you got to use different strategies. So do you think, and, and feel free to say that you're not really able to answer this question, um, certainly not scientifically, but is this all getting a bit closer to perhaps the way that we lived uh, thousands of years ago? And, and basically the reason that it works is because this is what we're well adapted to do. Uh, I, so I'm just, I'm going to totally go out of limb on this one. Sure. <laughs> um, I think it's, it's probably pretty clear, um, during our evolutionary periods that we had very limited access to carbohydrates, particularly usable carbohydrates. Mm. You know, for example, people bring up potatoes or things like that. Well, those only existed in South America. We've only had potatoes in our diet for like 20,000 years and only, I think 500 years for anybody of European descent. So we just, we didn't have foods like that very often. And when we did, ones that would have been highly, that we would have been able to process at a very high rate would have been fruit. Um, I don't know if anybody's ever seen any documentaries on when a banana tree like fully gets its fruit and they ripen in, um, you know, in, in Africa, for example, like animals all day are around that tree trying to get the fruit. So for us, our opportunity would have probably been at night when more of the night hunters are out. So the bigger animals aren't going to be around would have given us an opportunity. And like I said, I'm kind of going out on a limb. So 
whether it would have been at night or some other period, we probably had these moments of gorging ourselves on very high glycemic carbohydrate sources and then taking off. So I think our body is adapted for those short burst insulin spikes. Now in our modern society, we're, we've got foods like that available all the time. Plus we can do activities on a daily basis that they probably didn't want to do back then. They probably didn't go around picking up 200 pound rocks and setting them back down 10 times just because they wanted to. Um, we do that essentially, you know, we call them weights, but essentially it's like picking up a rock and putting it back down. Mm -hmm. Um, so that gives us the ability to tap into this mechanism more often and with more benefit. Yeah. And it's, (laughs) it's fascinating when you look at, uh, like you said, lifting up rocks or whatever is, is, uh, this type of strength training, is that unprecedented from an evolutionary standpoint, or is that something that we really would have been doing? especially with the, the heaviest weights? Uh, that's a really good question. And you can I, just say, I, say, I don't know, but I, yeah, I, just... I, I don't know. Other than, you know, we would have required a lot of strength in the hunt. I'm sure we were pretty good, Yeah, but I'm sure there was a lot of hand to hand, manipulation of the animal before it was dead. Right. Um, is my guess, because if we made a kill, we couldn't have let it wander off too far because there would have been a lot of other predators that would right. have taken advantage of that. So, um, there were probably moments when we had to exert massive amounts of strength. Mm-hmm. We just wouldn't have been able to do it on such a regular schedule. Yeah. I had uh, Ori Hoffmeckler on the show a few months ago, and, and mm. uh, it, it seems to me that what he recommends is fairly close, although less specific scientifically, uh, as as to what you're advocating. Have you seen much overlap between like people being all about what Ori's work and then being like, no, I like carb backloading better, or is it is it pretty much similar? I think it's pretty similar. What's interesting to me is a lot of people who are in the carb backloading camp, they don't even really know about Ori or the okay. warrior diet, mm-hmm. uh, which is a shame. You know, it was, it was a good book. Yeah. Um, and I would just say it was a little bit before its time. I mean, it was, so yeah, information wasn't, I mean, you had to speculate at the time, kind of like the anabolic diet by Dr. Deepa Squally. When he put that out, I mean, he had to speculate. We just, mm-hmm. we didn't have the tools to do the research, to answer the questions that could really refine those diets. Yeah. What are you, as a scientist or, or someone who appreciates scientific research, what are you most excited, excited about right now? What are we seeing? Oh, um, I, you know, I'd have to say just because of recent conversations I've had and recent research I'm doing, um, looking at the body in a more holistic way down to even the mitochondrial level mm-hmm. and seeing basically Every disease that we have today is a disease of diet and specifically a disease related to too many carbohydrates too often. Yeah. Um, I had this great interview with uh, Dr. Dom D'Agostino. I don't know if you know his name. If not, you should, you should get him on your podcast. Like yeah. brilliant guy. He's doing his cancer research. And, you know, you really can relate cancer to a disease of too many carbohydrates. It causes mitochondrial dysfunction. Once mitochondria becomes dysfunctional, it turns on a lot of oncogenes. Once the oncogenes ramp up, then the cells become almost purely glycolytic. So they become completely dependent on carbohydrates. And then all of a sudden they mutate and they become this like aggressive, almost a bacteria-like cell. Mm-hmm. And it's almost like our cells revert back to this primordial state where their only ability to survive is glucose and they're just soaking it up like crazy at that point because they destroyed 
the beneficial mechanism. You know, mitochondria produces energy for us, but it also helps to produce ample amounts of ATP so that the cleanup systems can work, um, the systems that repair DNA damage can work. You turn that off, then the cell just goes into pure survival mode. So, you know, seeing all these things come together like that has been the most exciting thing for me over the last, I'd say, two years. You know, I started this and then I've just come into contact with so many people who are working on this from different angles. And it's amazing. They all fall back to, well, you know, if you take carbs out of the diet, then like cancer disappears, Alzheimer's disappears, performance goes, I mean, you name it, it gets yeah. better. And that's just so exciting to me. So does having those insulin spikes at those strategic moments, does that, does that sacrifice that to a degree in favor of building muscle? Or is there some advantage as well to, to perhaps doing that? I can't answer that question completely. Yeah. Um, I would guess that car backloading done appropriately for an athlete is probably a null point. Okay. You're not getting super benefit from being low carb all the time, but you're also not getting the detriment from eating carbs all the time. Yeah, I would say something more like carb night, which is another one of my books where you, you literally only pick out one night a week. That is probably beneficial. Okay. Um, and that would go back to the body's got a lot, a lot of mechanisms for, they're called hormetic responses where, um, a lot is bad. A little bit is highly beneficial. Mm -hmm. And we see that in a lot in, um, a lot of the research they do where they find carcinogenic chemicals, you know, it turns out if you take a tomato, for example, tomatoes got, you know, 50 carcinogens in it. When you test them in lab animals and do the, the standard carcinogenic trials where they just overload the animal with these things. But it turns out they're recommended as health supplements to human beings because in small amounts, they have huge benefits. Mm -hmm. And so that's, that's hormesis. And I think for the average person, carbohydrates fall in that realm. Um, and there's been, again, some animal studies, I haven't seen human studies, but the animal studies excite me because you can show that um, beta cells in the pancreas, uh, you can tell when they're dysfunctional from a, a gene called IDX1. And if it starts to downregulate, then beta cells become dysfunctional. And we see that in uh, type, type 2 diabetes. Um, but if you go ketogenic for too long, we also see IDX downregulate, which means the beta cells are potentially becoming dysfunctional. Mm -hmm. Well, you just give it a kick of sugar once, and all of a sudden, IDX goes up. And it stays up for a period of time. So, you know, I'm sure there's other mechanisms in the body that we'll be able to pin down that also show that where you know, a burst of insulin is probably going to turn on a lot of beneficial genes, but they're genes that you don't want turned on for very long. Okay. So is there a schedule for that? <laughs> like when you talk about, um, uh, cycling carbs, a lot of people talk about doing it once or twice a week. And it seems like mm -hmm. most of your, your books and, and recommendations fall in that realm. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, carb night is once a week and it depends if, um, some people have a very, very difficult time getting into nutritional ketosis, which um, there's starvational ketosis, which is pretty easy to get into. You just starve yourself for a couple of days and boom, you're like extremely ketogenic. Eating food and being ketogenic is almost an art in itself. Yeah. So for some people, they need almost a two-week window to get into that deep ketogenic cycle before they can reload with carbs. Um, so, you know, anywhere from, you know, carb backloading is potentially, you know, four to seven days a week that you're eating carbs at night, depending on how avid of an athlete you are and the level you're at, 
to, you know, the extreme of carbonite, which is once every two weeks. Okay. So, uh, when it comes to athletes that you've worked with or, or even yourself, what are some of the most ridiculous things that you've seen in, in, in terms of <laughs> shoving carbs down your throat? Well, you know, the cheesecake factory always comes up a lot. Yeah. Um, if, if you've been there and you know how big their pieces of cheesecake are, um, for oh, myself, one time I made the, yeah, I made the attempt of getting like five of my favorite cheesecakes, pieces of cheesecake and going through those, which was an epic disaster. I almost made it through all five, made me unbelievably sick. Do you, you know, know the great many, thing? Like, the do you know the stats on that? What that actually works out? Oh yeah. Be? They're like a thousand calories a piece. <laughs> it, it's, That's it's wild. staggering. But, you know, the next day there's like no damage and no weight gain. Yeah. But, you know, I was doing that during carb night and carb, not carb backloading. Um, people on carb backloading all the time I hear about like they ate a whole pizza and then they ate half a tub of ice cream. I mean, the amount of food that some people put down is staggering. And I'm waiting for somebody to tell me that they like ballooned up and gained 100 pounds on the diet and it just hasn't happened yet. Interesting. So you can have some epic feasts. Yeah. And not not see any detriment so what's your favorite my favorite would probably have to be pizza and then some point after that followed by a lot of lemon filled donuts from dunkin donuts <laughs> lemon cream filled ones uh those are amazing but that that combination goes really well together i don't know what it is but i can eat an entire pizza and not really be too full yeah and then those those lemon cream filled donuts are just yeah they're over the top and so you, you sleep off most of that horrible feeling that you get in your gut after eating the, the gut bombs? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm, if, if I'm going to do that, I'm doing it right before bed because yeah. I know, A, it's going to make me unbelievably drowsy. But B, it's, yeah, my stomach's not going to be feeling very good after that. <laughs> Man, they're just so good going down. It's, <laughs> it's hard to stop at some point. <laughs> so let's let's talk about this though. You usually talk about very high glycemic carbs, even even um, to the point of taking something like maltodextrin to not even enjoy the act of eating something that high glycemic, but still getting the effect. So can you talk about why that's useful, especially after um, resistance training, as opposed to eating something that's lower on the the glycemic scale, like a sweet potato or rice? Uh, what I'm really trying to activate, in, which is difficult after training is immediately after training, you actually have a really long window to replenish carbohydrate stores. Um, what we want immediately after training is an insulin spike, which is really difficult to do with real food. Yeah. Um, maltodextrin works really well, but you know, even that you can enhance with leucine, um, which you can also enhance with uh, hydrolysates, protein hydrolysates can enhance that. So you know, one reason I recommend things like that is if you spike with real food, most people usually crush their appetite mm -hmm. and they don't feel great. Um, so you've pretty much wasted the rest of the window, the, the evening window to try to replenish those glycogen stores. Uh, so I usually try to recommend something that you get a big insulin spike right away. You get all the recovery benefits of insulin um, without really screwing up your appetite or, you know, making you feel horrible. So what does so that, that look like in terms of uh, actual food and, and volume? Because it doesn't always have to be like like the cartoon of uh, carb backloading, right? Like that extreme right, example, right. It, it can be more of a, a lifestyle choice. Yeah. You know, typically how people eat lifestyle wise and, you know, how I eat most of the time as well. Um, so in training in the evening, I'll do something to try to spike 
insulin levels. I'm actually working on a supplement so you can have even less carbohydrates and just really go for that insulin spike oh, wow. immediately post-training. Because um, what I found was I do better with just a protein powder and leucine mm. to get that insulin spike and actually not adding a lot of carbohydrates immediately post-training. And then an hour later is when I'll choose whatever my meal happens to be, which usually has some kind of potato or rice product. Those are my preferred carbohydrates. Mm-hmm. Um, if I'm going to eat them and you know, it's not really that exciting or that special. So I don't shy away from things. That's for sure. You know, um, I'm not worried about if it's fried chicken or something like that, but it's usually some kind of meat, usually clean, you know, to be honest, uh, like a steak or actually I eat a lot of steak and a lot of hamburgers. I don't eat a lot of, a lot of fowl very often. And then French fries or a baked potato or mashed potatoes. Sweet potatoes are in there sometimes if I can get sweet potato fries. Yeah. I don't uh I, I don't really pay that much attention to my carbohydrates after my workout, other than just making sure I get something that I want. Okay. So you're um, not worried about eating fat or fiber at the same time to blunt the the spike because you're eating enough no. where it's gonna spike anyway. Is that the Yeah. 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 Pretty much. You know what I what I've found is and this is what I'm trying to put together for car backloading too, because there's so many variables at play here and so many people have so many different experiences. You know, really what you're going after you get that big insulin spike, really what you're trying to achieve after that is just a good glucose load to help replenish muscle glycogen stores. And that's why I like things like um, starches because they in particular, like potatoes, uh, sweet potatoes, rice, um, anything that's going to turn into pure glucose actually has preference to replenishing muscle glycogen stores as opposed to liver glycogen stores, which has a huge advantage. It allows you to get into ketogenesis much more rapidly the next day if your liver stores are still low, but you filled up your muscle stores. Um, so those are kind of the big overarching components that I look at. Cool. And, and, on that point, we get a lot of questions from people asking about being fat adapted versus ketosis. Can you touch on that a little bit, like the differentiation between the two? Um, I mean, to be honest, everybody's fat adapted. Yeah. Um, our, our cells are, if you allow them, um, and which that just means if you don't have high levels of insulin or blood glucose, or really just high levels of insulin, your fat will absorb fatty acids and burn them pretty readily. So being fat adapted just means you haven't eaten carbohydrates in a while, essentially. Yeah. Um, now or going regularly in, for a while. Or, right? Yeah, correct. Exactly. So ketogenesis, though, is the process where particularly brain tissue and other highly active tissues um, are starting to sense low levels of blood glucose. So we're looking at uh, blood glucose levels of around 40. At that point your body actually starts to take some of those fatty acids and convert them into ketones in the liver to supplement that energy supply. So there's a huge gap there in what it means to be fat adapted versus what it means to be in ketogenesis. For example, you could actually be on a zero carb diet, but have too much protein in your diet and you won't go into ketogenesis. Your body will release and burn a lot of fat, but it has a very, very difficult time making ketones, which can make you feel sluggish. You, you'll gas out in normal activities. Um, your mental acuity goes down. And we see that a lot with people who don't understand the importance of fat in the diet. They go ultra low carb, 
but they also go ultra low fat and they never get those high energy molecules that their brain and the nervous system is really craving or their heart for that matter or diaphragm. Yeah. Um, and then, you know, to take, if, if we want to take fat adaptation to its true meaning, it turns out once you're fat adapted, that means, and you're fully ketogenic, that means your muscle tissue actually will no longer burn ketones. Hmm. So that is the best definition of fat adapted. It means that your muscles have gotten to the point that they will no longer burn ketones and specifically your heart diaphragm and nervous system tissue, the liver can participate as can kidney. Those are the tissues that preferentially take the ketones. Um, it, it's interesting if you get, if you do a pure fructose load and you're already ketogenic, fructose will be shutter, shuttled into ketone production. Hmm. Um, it's this, you know, fructose is such a weird yeah. sugar molecule. Yeah. Um, it's bizarre. But yeah, so so those are kind of the shades of what's meant by ketogenesis and fat adapted. But suffice it to say, after a carb load, you're not worried about peeing on a stick anyway. No, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you might for, you know, fun, but that's probably a discussion for another type of podcast. Right, right. <laughs> 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 okay, so uh, another thing that I want to make sure we cover before uh, before we go is um, I, I saw you wrote about this earlier. I, I think it might have been an article for Men's Fitness or Men's Health or something where uh, basically uh, the experience of eating carbs in the morning is something that's advocated by a lot of fitness magazines and, and health ex experts and gurus. You actually um, seem to argue against that for a few reasons. Uh, most principally around uh, cortisol. I, I can personally, I guess, offer my own experience where when I first started intermittent fasting or doing uh, mostly just fat in the morning and into the afternoon, is I found that I thought I was always hungry in the morning, but in fact, I'm only hungry after I eat in the morning. And if right. I don't eat, I never really get hungry. Um, so what happens when you eat in the morning or when you don't eat in the morning as far as insulin and cortisol goes? Uh, so if you do it's, if you don't eat in the morning or really essentially you don't eat carbohydrates in the morning, yeah. uh, you wake up, ghrelin levels go up a little bit, which can make some people hungry, uh, depending on where insulin levels are. Uh, obese people definitely wake up hungry. Normal people usually don't though. And you have a high surge of cortisol first thing in the morning. It ramps up all night. You get a peak first thing in the morning and then it it tapers off really quickly after that. Well, cortisol, its main purpose in the body is to break down complex molecules for fuel. If insulin's not around, the complex molecule that it breaks down is fat. Mm -hmm. It actually allows you to burn more fat and, you know, allows you to tap into that energy reserve. Once you introduce insulin though, it actually flips and cortisol makes you store more fat than you normally would. Um, which is obviously not a good effect. That's not what we're looking for. So as soon as you eat those carbohydrates, you've screwed up with your, your cortisol levels. Cortisol is not going to go down. I mean, it's just naturally up in the morning. doesn't matter how much insulin you get in you. It stays up, causes a lot of bad effects. Um, but on top of that, the ghrelin spike that you might have had first thing in the morning, which is pretty normal, doesn't necessarily trigger strong hunger in most people, You've suppressed that momentarily, which causes a huge rebound immediately after, which is why most people, once they do have breakfast, are hungry then again after, even if they weren't hungry when they ate breakfast. 
Yeah. So you're you're messing with a couple signals, and, and the ghrelin one's important as well because if ghrelin stays elevated long enough, like it should in the morning, without carbohydrates, then you get a growth hormone release as well that follows after that. Yeah. Um, so there's this nice stage response. You've got cortisol levels up. Your body wants to burn fat. Then you get a little bit of a ghrelin spike, which then spikes growth hormone levels, which then allows you to burn even more fat. Mm-hmm. So. In the morning, really, your goal is to just keep insulin levels as low as possible. And it's funny that we just think that, you know, a carb breakfast is some scientific invention and that's why we do it. Um, Americans before, I think it was um, early, 19, very early 1900s, um, Americans really ate mostly sausage and eggs for breakfast. Um, and that continued all the way into the 60s. Um, but really where the shift came was with uh, General... Kellogg, who was also a doctor, uh, he was a seven-day Adventist. He did not eat any animal products. So he had to come up with a way for other seventh-day Adventists to stay away from meat, and that's how he came up with the (laughs) cornflakes. And he invented this whole process, and he was very influential in the U.S. government at that time. So a lot of people who were very vocal and very well-known in the public light started eating Kellogg's cornflakes. And so basically the rest of the country kind of got on board with this eating cereal and carbohydrates for breakfast. And it was all just because of one person's religious beliefs. And I'm not knocking religion at all, but it's not based on any science. It wasn't based on any health. And very few people have ever actually studied it after that to see if it's a good recommendation or not. That's fascinating. I I love hearing the stories behind why we do the things that we do. But cornflakes, that would be perfect right after a workout, right? (laughs) Oh, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> yeah, those would be great. You know, there's some cereals I loved as a kid, and that's my favorite thing of of all the diets I've come up with is like I can eat some of those cereals again. Yeah, like Lucky Charms. Uh, I'm all about Lucky Charms and Fruity Pebbles. Uh, actually, a lot of people use Fruity Pebbles on carb backloading because uh, it's it's rice derived. You get a huge insulin spike from it, and you know people just enjoy it. That is so wild. And it kind of fits into the paleo realm because obviously the Flintstones were around in the Paleolithic period. Obviously. So Fruity Pebbles, you know, by default is a paleo food. So it works perfect. (laughs) So just to to sum it up and wrap it up in a bow, what what I'm hearing you say is that the protocol that you follow is is very similar to mine aside from the the more ridiculous carb pieces of it. But it's basically um, avoid carbs in the morning for the first half of the day. Uh, fuel primarily with with fat, and I should say before you get to this point, make sure that you're you're mostly fat adapted, or you're at least avoiding uh, carbs most of the time. Is there a range that gets you there? I usually recommend um, there's a ten day period that for most people at the end of those ten days they'll be in that range of quote unquote fat adapted, where they're building, they're making ample amounts of ketones, they've got a lot of fat to burn. And muscles are primi- primarily depending on fatty acids at that point. So oh, okay. 10 days is usually that window. Cool. And then after that time, you um, you don't fuel with carbs before the workout, but you do a workout like around midday or evening, um, heavy lifting. After that time, you try to spike insulin. Uh, and I should ask, you, you mentioned um, uh, protein shakes earlier. Are you going after dairy like whey? to even though you're not spiking blood sugar, you are getting a flood of insulin. Is that one of the ways that you do it? So whey isolates and, you know, they aren't, they up insulin a little bit. They're not great, but hydrolysates can really add to that insulin spike. So 
if, if you want to add a hydrolysates for that reason, they can really up the insulin production. Uh, what I usually recommend is adding leucine. Yeah. Leucine is probably the only amino acid that can really cause a large insulin release. Yeah. Okay, cool. Well, that sounds like fun to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> awesome. Well, we're just about out of time, Kiefer, but why don't you tell folks uh, where they can find you and what you're working on next? At the moment, it's a little fuzzy where to find me. I'm launching a new website and I haven't announced the URL yet, but okay. um, all that information will be, you'll be able to find on my old website, athlete.io, which is kind of a graveyard at the moment, but I still update it with uh, information. And then um, I've got, if you want to check out information about Carbonite, that's at carbonite.com, C-A-R-B-N-I-T-E. Uh, carb backloading is carbbackloading.com, of course. And um, I just published an ultra low carb cookbook, uh, with Alex Navarro. So if you know, you're tired of just hamburger and broccoli all the time, you can check that out. That's it. Transformingrecipes.com. And I think that's all I have at the moment. Cool. What, what's coming up or you can't talk about it right now. It, basically, you know, I'm relaunching my podcast, relaunching the website. Um, there'll be, I'll, I'm relaunching my tube casts that I used to do. Cool. And then I'm also finally able to get my software on board and some cool software is going to be released the middle of this summer. Killer. That's awesome. Well, Kiefer, thank you so much for coming on. I, this was just action packed for me. <laughs> Selfishly, <laughs> I, had, I had a lot of fun with it and I hope yeah, no, that it was great value to those of you out there. But Kiefer, you're welcome anytime. Uh, thanks excellent. so much for coming on and I, I would love to speak to you on this show again soon. All right. Great. That'd be fantastic. Thanks for having me. All right. Thanks a lot. Thank you so much for listening to the Fat Burning Man Show. If you'd like free fat burning tips, muscle building goodies, as well as a free ebook and video course, head on over to fatburningman.com and enter your best email, and I'll shoot those right over to you. If you'd like to follow me on Facebook, I'm at facebook.com forward slash fatburningman. And on Twitter, my handle is fatburnman. Got some killer shows on the way, but in the meantime, be well, and I'll be talking to you guys soon. Cheers. Cheers.